Vision is important, right? Vision is important. The prophet says that where there is no vision, the people perish. I remember my first experience with vision. I was starting to have issues um, early in high school. I'd been fighting it for a few years, keeping it from my parents. So if you're a kiddo that's doing that, you need to let your folks know. Uh, mine kind of came about the fact that I was in golf tournaments and literally I could not see where the pin was in the green. So I was asking my competitors, trusting they would tell me the truth, right? And my parents began to say, hey, listen, we got to do something about this. So we came to the great Dr. Wells. Um, I don't know if Miss Sally's here this morning, but came to the great Dr. Wells. I'll never forget. My other brother came probably because my mom just realized I wasn't coming willingly. And so he came. I'll never forget. He comes out of that corner around the curve and says this, this statement as he walks out of Dr. Wells' office. Mom, Dr. Wells just told me I had the best eyes in 20 years. I'm like, okay. Guess what I walk out with that day? These bad boys. Yes. Alexander and the terrible, horrible what? No good, very bad day. That was one of those moments in life for me. And the reminder is, guess what? Vision is important. It's important. And so today as we come, guess what? We need vision. We need to know, listen, where are we as a church headed? And so Vision 2020 kind of fits. And so you see it. But I want to throw out with you maybe just three things this morning before we jump into our message about as we think about 2020 and the vision of the church. The first is shepherding. Right? You see the text there, Acts 2 and 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. All right? And so, as a church, we want to say, hey, listen, this is what the early church was devoted to. This was their ongoing commitment. How might we as a church reflect that? How might we as a church follow in their example? And so, one of the things we're talking about a lot is shepherding. And that comes to Brother Todd now, specifically as the elders of the church. How do we help lead the church well? How do we do the shepherding well? And so what we were hoping to do is, as we look toward 2020, is to begin to have conversations with individuals and families that are in our church. To, hey, how's it going for you, right? You've seen the vision. It's not changing of God and me, God family and me, God church and me, God world and me. But we want to know, how's it working for you individually? How's it happening for your family? How's it you in the church, right? How are you spending time in the Word of God? How are you growing in prayer? Share with us maybe about your family, how that's going devotionally, right? Maybe we might talk to you something about who are you sharing the gospel with right now? Who's your one? Do you have a one? And so, Brother Todd now we've set a pretty audacious goal. We're not sure exactly how it's going to look, but we're hoping that each month we can have contact with 20 individuals, and that may represent families as well, both of us taking about 10 each. So what I would say is this morning, as you look at your bulletin slip, listen specifically to the members, okay? We need your updated contact information. So we can contact you, right, to have a phone call. It may work out that we can have a face-to-face. -face. That will be great. But a lot of them will be through the phone where we're just having some time to talk with you, to hear how you're doing spiritually. And so we as shepherds, listen, Hebrews 13, 17 says this, that we will give an account for every soul that God has placed in our care. Now, one of the challenges is knowing who is in our care. I'll be really honest with you. And there's kind of this, this bad epidemic that's growing is that people think church membership is unbiblical and it's not important. Those are not New Testament truths. And over the course of this year, we're going to keep trying to bring that before you to let you know church membership is biblical. It does have merit, right, when they constantly, in fact, we see it listed. They, they, they're listing different groups of people that are in this place, that are gathering this church. There's obviously some sort of membership recognized of individuals. And so we want to encourage you, but we also realize, guess what? Our church membership is pretty fluffy. Listen to this. Our church membership is 551 people. 400 of them are called resident members. Let's be honest. I don't know how many members are here this morning, but it's not 400. 
not anywhere close to 551. And so that's something as shepherds we're looking at to say, God, who have you entrusted to our care that you are that we're going to give an account for in your presence? And so we're starting to look at that. How does it look? What's it mean to be a member? And you're going to be hearing more about that. And I want to encourage some of you. You've been with us for a while. It's time for you as a New Testament believer to covenant with this church. And if not, there's major issues. Let's talk. Let's find out what those are. But listen, it's not to church hop. It's not to just come and, and, and not commit. I'm encouraging and compelling you based upon biblical New Testament truth that you need to be a part of a local church. So shepherding, Brother Todd and I are looking, how can we better shepherd the people having intentional spiritual conversations? So that's Vision 2020. That's part of it. Secondly, the next bullseye, right? You've heard the statement, if you aim at nothing, you'll what? You'll hit it every time. And so we're saying, how do we as a church aim well? So not only do we want to shepherd well, we want sanctification. That's a big word that means more like Jesus, right? I'm just going for S words here, all right? So that's just, just follow me. Sanctification means how do you become more like Jesus? How do you live a life of being a disciple? And again, you see what the church is devoted to. One of the things the church was devoted to was the apostles' teaching, was hearing God's word, spending time in God's word. So Sunday mornings is one of those primary areas in which we do that. Also, look what it says here, the breaking of bread, which... Could have included a larger meal, but specifically speaks to this table, the Lord's table. And why? Because guess what? Price is baptized one time, but his ongoing coming to this table will be a reminder throughout his life of the faithfulness that he is continuing to live that good confession. Are you with me? So every time you partake of this bread and drink of this cup, you're continuing to proclaim that what you said at your baptism is true. You still are trusting in Christ alone for salvation. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You are continuing to do that. And you're also saying we as a body, right? Baptism happens alone. Communion, the Lord's Supper, happens as a community. So that breaking of bread Right As a church, Sunday mornings, we spend time praying. We intentionally have time in our service, not because we think we sh- it's something that sounds good. We are trying to strive to be a part of Acts 2 and 42. And we want to spend time praying. And so that's something that we're doing, praying intentionally. Also, as you think about your sanctification, I want to encourage you to consider Sunday school. I have this feeling I'm talking really fast, am I? Yeah, man, I feel it. Gosh, wow. Um, if you just knew how many stuff was up here. But listen, again, uh, I'm just, I was just thinking about my grandfather who used to come and he would just tell me at times like, Blake, slow down, bro. Slow down. So I kind of feel that right now. All right, so I'm going to slow down. So again, Sunday school, listen, Sunday school is a time where there's intentional focusing again on the apostles' teaching. I want to encourage you, Brother Todd, the leadership here wants to encourage you. There is some fellowship that happens in that time, but a lot of times it's primarily, right, that happens outside those walls, and some of our classes are better than others at that happening. But again, the apostles' teaching. So where does fellowship happen? That's one of the things we've talked about. Well, if you're with us as a church on Sunday nights as we look toward the summer, specifically June and July, we set aside times to build fellowship with the church body, and we've had other events throughout. We encourage Sunday school classes to gather, but fellowship, listen, I want to encourage you. Maybe you do not have anybody that you're really fellowshipping with as part of the church. We want to challenge you. Again, you have your bulletin there. Again, this is another reason why. Why are we doing the offering at the end? It allows things like this. We want to encourage you today. As you're filling out your slip, there's a part there that says, I want to commit to a Bible study, right? It's one of the, like the last bullet points on one of the sides there. We want to encourage you to sign up to be a part of a small group. We're going to be like January 19th through the end of April, right? It's just about roughly 12 weeks or so 
hit or miss depending on, on weather, all the things. But we want to compel you. Why? Because it'll be a time for you to fellowship with others, to talk about what's going on in your life. You Guess what? Have accountability. I don't know if you have accountability in your life, but guess what? Brother Todd and I daily have that dialogue. Emily and I have that ongoing dialogue as husband and wife. Well, I need accountability. I want to know, am I reading? Am I spending time in prayer? Who are you sharing the gospel with? Right? So maybe you'd say, as I look to 2020, if I'm getting serious about this following Christ and this growth in sanctification, then part of it is I need fellowship, but I need accountability. And then also a part of that Sunday night group is you commit to it. It'll be a time of just praying for each other. So again, maybe that's something that just kind of just strikes at you. Like, man, I need that in my life. I need accountability. I need more fellowship. I'm a part of this church, but sometimes I feel like I don't have a lot of relationships. So sign up so we'll know how many we have. Then we can divide up groups and go intentionally again. You're committing for like 12 weeks, right? Roughly 12 weeks. So sanctification. Wednesday nights, as you think about it, listen, Wednesday nights is going to be an important time for you to connect with the church. Why? Because we're going to be studying things on Wednesday nights. It's going to a lot of launching pad of where we're headed as a church. We're looking at what does it look like to be a church? What is church membership, right? What are, who are elders? What is church discipline? What is sound doctrine? What is evangelism? What is a true conversion, right? Brother Todd is going to talk here starting out uh, this Wednesday about apologetics. How do you share your faith? So in the coming Wednesday nights, it'll be a kind of a rotation. You spend maybe 20, 20 minutes or so with Brother Todd. He'll be talking about apologetics. 20 minutes, you'll jump over with me. I'm going to be teaching you on what is our church covenant. And so maybe for you, that's a fresh, like, I didn't even know we had a church covenant. But it's kind of what are these things we've agreed upon? And so, again, Wednesday nights is an opportunity for the apostles teaching and prayer. And so, again, we're just trying to strive after this shepherding sanctification, right? In hopes that what? That we would see God's kingdom come. And we want to see God's kingdom grow. And so that's the last one, right? So we think about vision 2020, salvation, right? As you think about this, um, here's some of these statistics. This is the last, um, just the last four years. Let's just keep it to that. This is the number of baptisms this church has seen. I want it to break you. It, it Listen to it. Last year, five. The year before, three. The year before that, five. The year before that, four. We've had 17 baptisms in four years, guys. That should break us. A church with this many people. It's convicting to me to think, man, God, what am I doing wrong? What can we do better? And we're hoping that some of this is to that end. We want to encourage you. You've got a part in this. As we think about 2020, listen, I know it sounds crazy and unrealistic, but what if we just prayed to see 20 saved this year? Again, I, I know that numbers numbers are important. The Bible lists numbers. 3,000 people were saved on the day of Pentecost, so we know that. What if we begin to strive after that? What might be your role in this? Would you just be a part of just first committing to say, come and see? That you're going to be a part of when you have conversations in the community, at the ballpark, at the grocery, as you talk to people at the library book club or wherever you may find yourself at the local loafing spot. I don't know where it is for you. That maybe you just start to invite and start to speak into friends, classmates' lives to invite them just to come and see. Just come and say, hey, would you come to church on this Sunday? Hey, would you come to church with me on the Wednesday night? Right, they may work. Let them know there's other times to come and meet. Right, just invite them, come and see. The, the fall festival, right, it's a great opportunity just to, to love on folks as they come through. It's hard to have much of an intentional conversation, but you can invite people to come and see. The Thanksgiving dinner, opportunity to say, hey, would you just come and see? For others of you, listen, and again, all of us, as we move towards salvation, we've got to all be in on this. We want to challenge you to go and tell. Who's one person, right? For some of you, I want to challenge you as you look toward 2020. I want you to pray and ask God for at least one opportunity each week to share the gospel. One a week. 
What if we all began to do that, man? The gospel going forth to this community, other places as you travel, go. Let's pray. Let's hope. Let's see, right? Go and tell people, right? As God opens the door for you to share more of your, your testimony, you're not only just saying, come and see, you're saying, look, look, I want to tell you about what Christ has done for me. Why do I believe this? So go and tell. We'd encourage you again, as, as the church was meeting there, there was, there was time of prayer. We're going to be praying as a church. Sunday mornings, we pray intentionally. This morning, we prayed intentionally to this end for salvation. We're praying intentionally as a family, right? Judas was pricey. That's, that's who he's been praying for all this year. Just praying, pricey, pricey, right? We're praying intentionally. So maybe it's an index card on your, on your, on your mirror. Well, I don't know what it is. And again, another thing we encourage you to think about is fasting. Why? Because salvation is spiritual war, guys. There is, uh, 2 Corinthians 4 says there's a God of this age who's blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel who's the image and glory of God. And yet God has called us to engage in spiritual warfare by praying. He says our weapons are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine, God-given power to demolish strongholds. So we are going to wage war spiritually, and part of that happens through intense fasting. As Jesus said, that kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. So there may be times, even as a church body, where we collectively, right, and we'll be talking more about that. So again, as we come to 2020, that gives you just a little glimpse of thinking about the targets that we're aiming at, shepherding, Brother Todd and I, doing that better, having intentional conversations with you about your sanctification, how are you becoming more like Christ, and then as we a church body growing in salvation. So again, this is us trying to live out Acts 2 and 42. But if we start this morning, let's be honest, man, we're, we're not there yet, right? I mean, if I look at shepherding, I think, man, there's so many times in which I have failed or not done what I need to do here. And it just moves my heart, I hope, to repent. Maybe as you look at your sanctification, you realize that, man, you know what? It's, I need to become more Christ-like. I need to take this commitment serious. I, I need accountability in my life. Maybe just today you just start by repenting. Maybe today as you look at salvation, I mean, could not all of us here to say, man, I, I'm, I'm really not that zealous to tell people about Jesus. I find more reasons not to tell someone than I do. What if we just started this morning by repenting? Right, I mean, that's the text today as we look here in Matthew chapter 3, is we're going to see the truth that we aren't qualified to enter the kingdom, right? We're trying to ask the question today, what's required to enter God's kingdom? And what we see is, but guess what? We're not qualified. It doesn't matter how many rituals you do, right? You can't pray enough, go enough, read enough, right? But there's a group of people that believe that. Others believe that maybe, you know what? You'll enter the kingdom because God is loving, and in the end, love wins. And so that means that, guess what? All roads ultimately lead home, whether it's Christianity or Buddhism or Muslims or some sort of enchantment or enlightenment or whatever it may be. And yet the text today in Matthew chapter 3 says this, to enter God's kingdom, you must repent. So again, if you're, you're keeping notes, and so we're kind of throwing up some new note-taking strategy there for you, that the big idea today for me, as I look at this text, is this, to enter God's kingdom, I must repent. I must repent. So first, repentance is demanded to enter God's kingdom. In those days, it says, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Look what he says here right out of the gate. Repent, man. This isn't like an option. This isn't a suggestion. This is a command from the God of the universe. 
Even a casual reader of the Bible would say, you know what, repentance is something the Bible just keeps talking about all throughout the Old Testament prophets. This call to repent, this idea of just turning from your way of life, right? This, about 55 times the New Testament uses this term or a various term to define repentance. We see, again, here John the Baptist in Matthew 3 and 2 coming out of the gate. He preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Guess what? When Jesus comes out preaching, we're going to see it in Matthew 4, but in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it says he was preaching, repent and believe the good news. When Jesus sends out the 12 disciples, right, in in Mark chapter 6, verse 12, he says to them, go out and preach that people should what? Repent. In fact, Luke's recording of the Great Commission, right, listen to what it starts there. Jesus says this, he commissions the disciples, this is what you are to do now that I'm gone. Here's what you are to tell them repentance and forgiveness of sins shall be proclaimed to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And guess what? Peter evidently took this serious because on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 and 38, Peter stands up when it says everyone's cut to the heart and he says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So repentance is this ongoing theme. It's not a suggestion. This is a command. What is repentance? Well, the the Greek word behind repentance, metanoia, it indicates a change of mind about something. It's a change of mind that happens. But maybe this illustration will help you. I heard this illustration. I thought it was really helpful. See that guy there, right? You can imagine, right? This guy or someone like him, he, he goes to the parachute school. He's going to go and spend some time skydiving, right? They talk to him all about, here's the ripcord. Here's this extra backup. If this doesn't work, they talk to him about how to land and, and right, how to put your feet down so you don't like face plant and get really, really not good, right? And so he goes up, man, to get there, right? The altimeter says they're about 13,000 feet. It's time. He comes to the door, man. He is nervous, about to throw up, right? His feet are weak, right? And then he notices somebody from behind him. An instructor starts trying to push him toward the door, right? And he says something like, I, I, I'm not going to do it. And like, man, you can. You can do it. And he shouts back to the instructor, I've changed my mind. And I'm not going to jump. And guess what? He doesn't jump. That man has repented. Are you with me? He's changed his mind. It's not just simply like, oh, I believe something different. Like, no, I believe this and now I'm no longer going to do it. That's repentance, right? Repentance is a change in the way I think that leads in the change to the way in which I live. You with me? Repentance is a change in the way I think that now leads to a transformation in the way I live. Repentance is a decisive change in direction. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of thinking, that leads to a change of attitude, that leads to a change of feeling, that leads to a change of values, and leads to a change in the way that you live. You were going this way, and you have repented, and now coming to Christ. Clear enough? Repentance is demanded and required to enter this kingdom. And so we need to ask, then why doesn't everyone just repent? What blocks maybe the path to repentance? Look what happens here. Look at me, beginning of verse 5 there. So JB's on the scene, right? He's kind of a wildcat. Then Jerusalem and all Judea, verse 5, and all the region about the Jordan were going about to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. And notice what they do in, as they come to be baptized. What do they do here? They're confessing their sins. Sin is a roadblock to repentance. Notice here also that baptism, just as Brother Todd has shared with us, it's an outward sign of an inward response. 
Right? Baptism reflects outwardly what's happening inwardly. I've become a new creation. Right? I'm buried with Christ and raised with Him. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, to, to quote Paul in Galatians 2 and 20. Right? And so listen, John comes preaching that repentance is here. Right? This, this, the kingdom is at hand. Repentance is clearly connected to the confession of sins. We often just want to say something like, I'm sorry. But repentance indicates something more. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief only produces death. Both are sorry. But godly grief, he says, produces repentance. There's a desire, not only like, I'm sorry that things haven't worked out. I'm sorry that I got in trouble. I'm sorry that I got caught. No, genuine biblical repentance, which is a movement of the Spirit of God upon a man or woman, boy or girl. It leads to a transformation. And there's a confession of sins. Now, this is completely hypothetical, completely hypothetical. But just imagine two brothers getting in a fight. Hypothetical, right? All of it. They're fighting. Mom and dad come. They intervene. The boy's urging them to repent. One boy simply says, I'm sorry, as he grabs his toy and begins to stomp out saying, don't ever grab my toy again. Again, completely hypothetical. Nonetheless, the other brother is there. And guess what? He begins to say, would you please forgive me? I know that I shouldn't just have came in and took the toy. You were playing with it. So when you get finished playing with it, would you just tell me so maybe I can play with it? Both boys now have said they're sorry, but one has truly repented. He's not only changed his mind, he's changed his previous course of action. And he's truly desiring to love his neighbor, what? As himself. But man, that confession of sins, again, we can say we're sorry, but not really mean it. Repentance is not only saying I'm sorry, it's the confession of sin with a desire to forsake the sin, to flee from it. Some of you today, maybe you're sorry you got caught, sorry that you've gotten in trouble or things have turned bad, but you have no desire to change your heart. There's no true confession of sin. It's a hard heart that's blocking your path. Secondly, what else is a roadblock to repentance? It's pride. Listen to this. John is there, baptizing verse 6, and it says verse 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Right, he's saying not only you guys, but all that you represent, all that you come bringing your school of thought, your way of life. He says, you guys are a brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And listen to what he says, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Right, the Pharisees and Sadducees assume that their heritage is enough, right? They assume their way of life has made them fit for God's kingdom. Pharisees are more of the relig- the ritualists, right? They, they say, listen, you do this ceremony and you're good, right? And we have that kind of thought today. Just go to church and you're somehow good. That means you'll make it into God's kingdom. Or, hey, my grandkids got saved one time 20 years ago. They had nothing to do with church, but they got, they got baptized. I mean, and guess what? It must mean they're good. The Sadducees are more the rationalists. Right? They might be the ones today saying, well, well, God is a God of love, and so guess what? He wouldn't really send anybody to hell, and so you know what? In the end, love must win. Love did win, beloved. It won on the cross, but he was bearing the wrath of God. That's how love wins. The faithful, just God vindicating his holiness by the sending of his son. 
You'd say, well, Blake, was, was he really serious here about warning them that God would raise up others, right? Uh, I mean, who are the stones? What kind of crazy talk is that from J.B.? Guess what? In AD 70, Roman, the Roman uh, ruler Titus came in and he begins to desecrate Jerusalem. And guess what happens? The religious movement that's happening here by John the Baptist beginning to preach, right? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now the fulfillment of Christ's coming. God gives the kingdom to the outcast. People like Peter, fishermen, not religious folks, right? And we might hear today, we need to heed this same warning. Why? Because we are Gentile Christians. And Paul says to us in Romans 11, there in verse 20, listen to what he says to us. He talks to the Gentiles who think, you know what? Jewish people messed it up. We must be good. We're golden. Listen to what he says. It is true. Verse 20 of Romans 11. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. Why? For, right? You see that right there? For. Here's why we should not become proud thinking God would surely not ever do anything to discard me. Look what he says. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. God has discarded his own people there because of that unbelief. And somehow we are tempted, Paul says, that we might become proud and think, you know what, it's no big deal, I'm good. He says, do not believe that. That's deception. God will not spare any who turn from him. So listen, guys. We need to realize that there's hope, right, in the midst of this. This is hard, right? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. We're all called to repent. Absolutely. We affirm that. That's biblical truth. And now we see that there's roadblocks, whether it's the, the sin in our life, whether it's the pride to think, you know what, I'm okay, I'm good enough as I am, right? Whatever your thought is, we need to realize that, guess what? But the good news is this, there's hope. God desires to grant repentance. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 and 25. Say that very thing. Look what it says. Uh, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps, look what God does, grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses. Some of you, that, that you need to hear this. They may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. God is at work granting repentance. Now listen, guys, repentance is our true and genuine heartfelt response to the gospel, but it's God at work in us, moving by the power of the Spirit and the preached Word of God. So we need to know today, how do we come to this place of repentance? Or maybe, why would I come to a place of repentance? Look what happens here. Back to the verse 1 and 2 of Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Listen, Kings have always had a herald, and this is John coming as the herald of the one true king, saying, the true kingdom is coming, the true king is here. Right, he's the herald going out before the king to let everyone know, the true king is here, he's coming. And then listen to this statement again. Verse 2, I want you to anchor here today, right? If you take something away, let, let this be it. Look what he says. Repent. Now this is important. Four. Why are we to repent? Look what he says here. It's very, very important. Slow down just for a moment. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is important. Why? He does not say repent so that the kingdom of heaven will be at hand. He says repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's happening here? It's a moment of mercy. Right? 
These people haven't lived well enough that God's kingdom is coming to them. They haven't scored well enough on their spiritual exams. Right? This is God showing mercy. This is God bringing His kingdom. It's a declaration of God's mercy and His grace to, to give us the kingdom. Right? Repent for the kingdom of His hand. Why? Why would we repent? Because God came to us when we would never have come to Him. Your repentance is a response to mercy and grace and forgiveness and one that's bearing the wrath of God in your place. This is a response to who God is. This is not your work. It's His work. It's us responding to that work, to the mercy, to the grace of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, dying in your place. And beloved, if that does not move you to repent, nothing else will. This is not guilt. This is not shame. This is not trickery. This is the mercy, the grace, the love of God poured out on the cross for you. What a moment. What a moment for us. That we could respond to God's mercy. Why? Because we are not experiencing the wrath of judgment. Why? Because Christ bore it in our place on the cross. This moves us. So John says, guys, repent because the kingdom has come. Not repent so that it'll come. Repent because of what God has done for you in Christ. So today, maybe you're here and you recognize that repentance is demanded. You even, by God's grace, feel like maybe you responded to the mercy of God. But still you wonder, Blake, what does it look like for me practically to repent? Ray Pritchard shares like five of these diagnostic questions I thought were absolutely helpful. I want to share them with you as you leave, right? Kind of though, we talk about that, that bottom section of you're filling out your notes, the so what, like what, what difference does it make? How do I live this? Maybe one of these or five of these, whatever, will speak to you. Listen to what John says. Verse 8. He tells them to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Look at verse 10. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit. So there are some that are not bearing good fruit. Listen to what he says will happen to them. They will be cut down and what? Thrown into the fire. This is a real warning to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Why is it a big deal? John says, listen, you think you can escape. Dude, he is already there with the axe at the root of your life. It's a, it's a warning of judgment. That none of us will escape it. So how, Blake, how might, what would, what would repentance look like? Again, throw these five at you today. I hope and pray they speak to you as they've spoken to me. One is this. I admit I did wrong. Right, you're saying, like, I desire to repent. Guess what? First is, I admit I did wrong. You want to know how hard this is? Go home today and tell your spouse the thing you've been arguing about that you're wrong. That's what I figured, right? I mean, it's just like, ah, that's not easy to do. Right, students, here, here you, you want to know what repentance looks like for you. Go back to your classroom tomorrow and just own up and confess up to your teacher that you've been disrespectful, you've been rude, you've been causing problems. You just admit that you're wrong in that classroom. Go back to your coach. Go tomorrow to your employer and be honest about it, that you've been causing issues. I mean, just admitting that you were wrong. Parents, you want to freak your kids out? Admit that you handled something the wrong way. Some of you as older parents, your kids are grown up. Maybe you need to own up that you haven't always handled things the right way. So if you want to repent, guess what? You need to admit you have done wrong. So admit, I was wrong. Say it with me. I was wrong. Oh, that is so hard. Secondly, I feel sorrow over my sin. Like we discussed earlier, it's not sorrow that you got caught. 
or that some sinful relationship or something's come to an end or that you've just simply gotten trouble, but sorry that your rebellion has cost Christ his life. Right? That's what has, again, if the gospel, if the the, the death, dying, substitutionary death of Christ does not move us. Nothing else will. It is repentance because we feel sorry. Not ultimately, right? That we've sinned against others as we have. Yes. But the ultimate acknowledgement, as David said, Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned. He had had a man murdered. He had tried to cover up adultery. He had done all kinds of things. But he knew at the end of the day, God, I have ultimately sinned against you. So true repentance is a sorrow over our sin. It's a godly sorrow that makes you long to repent. Third, I confess my sin to God and to others. My guess is that some of you are hiding stuff. Maybe hiding it from your spouse or hiding it from your parents or even hiding it from your Sunday school class. All these people, remember in verse 6, came to John as they were baptized and they were confessing their sins. As the prodigal son starts home, guess what he does? He starts confessing. Father, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your servant. I mean, listen, he just starts confessing. Listen, even now, that idea for some of you, it begins to terrify you. But I want to let you know there's good truth. I don't have it on the screen. But here in verse 11, Jesus says that I want you to know that John says, listen, when he comes, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me, one who I'm not even worthy to tie that brother's shoes, he will baptize you with the Spirit and fire. It's the Spirit that will enable you to say, I'm sorry. It's the Spirit of God that will cause you to confess your sins to God and to others. It's God's good Spirit that you and I would be clean. Transform you so much today that maybe you can get real with a spouse or your parents or a friend about your struggle with pornography or maybe a secret credit card debt. I don't know. Fourth, I resolve to make restitution where possible. Remember Zacchaeus, right? That, that rich tax collector. He finally comes down the tree and, and there in Luke 19, he has this dialogue with Jesus. He says, look, Lord, here and now, if I've cheated anyone out of anything, oh, listen, I'll, I'll pay back four times as much and I give half of my possessions to the poor. It says, this grace that you've given to me, listen, it's so much greater than anything I would ever own or possess. And I need to get things right because I know that if I've been forgiven that much by you, man, I need to go and forgive others and get right with them. Repentance is going to require you to get real. Some of you, listen, it may mean going back to work and being honest about what you've stolen, how you've been cheating the company or whatever. It won't be easy, but repentance is never easy. Some of you have been cheating God by maybe not giving. Maybe it's not giving 10% or some other benchmark that you feel compelled to give. This morning, as that plate has passed, I encourage you, get it right. Start 2020 by giving obediently and faithfully in response to the Spirit and the work of God in your life. Fifth and last, I walk in the path of new obedience. Kiddos, this means you cannot keep hanging with the same people you've hung with. They've taken you down the wrong path. Your parents, others, friends have been trying to steer you. And you'd say, but Blake, that is costly. You don't understand how hard it will be not to be around them anymore. You don't understand what it will mean. What will I do after school now? What will I have to do on Friday nights? That's who I've always hung with. And now you're beginning to understand the true weight of repentance. It is costly. But brother, sister, what will it profit you to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Jesus says that that sin, that hand causes you to sin. Cut it off, beloved. It is better to enter the kingdom without your hand than with two hands be thrown in the fire of hell. Repentance is costly 
And I warn you with the words of John the Baptist, even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Listen, beloved, I'll leave you with these words. The message of repentance is good news. Why? Because it means forgiveness is even possible, right? This is actually good news that there is opportunity to repent. Why? Because it means that forgiveness is possible. And if you can be forgiven, that means because of Christ's death that the consequences of your sin are not irreversible. Hallelujah! Amen! You can be forgiven today. This is good news. Don't see it as, whoa, that's wrong. I don't want any part of that. So today I ask you, as as he closes, we don't have it there, but you look at verse 11 and 12. I want to ask, are you the chaff? Refusing to repent and not bearing good fruit. He says, you will be cast away into the fire forever. Or today, are you the wheat bearing good fruit as you continue repenting? Today, Jesus Christ compels you and I whosoever will may come today would you repent and believe upon the son of God that you may be forgiven and start over let's pray father in the strong name of Christ we thank you for the hope of the gospel father I thank you that repentance even though it's hard God we realize that it is an offer of mercy and grace because you came to us first this is our responding to you today father I pray now for those that this message is going by the power of your spirit. I pray, dive down deep to some, some hard things right now in their life or things from many years ago. Father, I pray now by the power of your spirit that you will lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I pray this in the name of Christ the King. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.